The following is a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network, powered by Anchor. You are listening to Andy on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Bleaker, and Pocket Cast. However you listen, wherever and whenever you listen, thank you for tuning into the program tonight. And you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Alfred. It is at All Andy Alfred and Facebook.com slash All Andy Alfred. What a terrific wild card weekend we had in the National Football League. It takes the best teams and sifts them out to go into the next round, the divisional round. We'll break it down and preview the matchups this upcoming weekend and hear my opinion and who's going to win my predictions for divisional weekend the jackets find a way to beat the best team in the metropolitan division the carolina hurricanes last week but yet go down to florida and absolutely just lay an egg it shows you that florida is for real folks the panthers are for real while the walleye continued their winning ways, but having all the call-ups happen between Grand Rapids and Toledo and Cleveland as well. We'll talk about that. The Battle of I-75 took place last Saturday. We'll break down last Saturday's game as Bowling Green took on the University of Toledo on the hard court and dive a little bit more into college basketball tournament times coming around the corner but spring is getting ready to be sprung in the next few months of course we're still in winter but the lpga is back into the swing of things with their tournament today we'll talk about that and an andy rants that you will not want to miss it's a cold balmy 19 degrees outside right now where's the snow Because it's time for all Andy Alfred right here on the Anchor Network. Guess who's back? All Andy Alfred. And a shot at a goal. 54 runs in the span. I'm going to get shut out. Dumbino. Hit to a home run. Go. That's way back. Put some extra relish on my hot dog. Bear down. Chicago Bears. It's time for all Andy Alfred. And with that, I say, I love you guys. And welcome into another edition of All Andy Alfred. Right here on your exclusive home for me. That is the Anchor Network. And you are listening to me tonight on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network. Whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you listen wherever and whenever you're listening, for the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you for giving me your time and effort to listen to what's happening in the sports world as well as what's happening in my everyday life. And you can be a part of our show always by following us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlford. It is at AllAndyAlford as well as Facebook.com slash AllAndyAlford. So welcome into the show on this, the 20th day of January 2022. I hope you're having a great week as we're doing this podcast on this Thursday 
afternoon. Of course, you're asking yourself, well, Andy, the Jackets didn't play on Tuesday. Oh, why didn't you do the podcast then? Well, Monday, of course, we usually do the show Monday night, but of course, the wild extra wild card game took place on Monday. So we decided, oh, we'll push it back to Tuesday. And then Tuesday happened, and I got a little distracted. Uh, I was doing a little bit more cleaning around uh, around the house, and I figured, you know, I'll, I could do it late, but of course, I ran out of time, and yesterday evening, I spent with my beautiful wife, we went out, we enjoyed a nice dinner, and we went and saw the movie, The House of Gucci, and I'll talk about that on my Andy Rants tonight, really good movie tonight to talk about on there. Uh, but we're on the air today on this Thursday, getting you set up for this big divisional playoff NFL weekend, as well as so much more. So to preview tonight, today's episode, of course, we're going to look at the walleye roundup as well as around the ECHL as well. We'll take a look around the East Coast Hockey League and give you the updates of what's happening in the East Coast League as uh, All-Star break has come and gone. Uh, we're back into the regular season. So now it is now the push to the playoffs for the East Coast Hockey League, as well as in the NHL. The NHL back into the swing of things. We'll go over the uh, scheduling changes that were announced for both the Blue Jackets as well as the local other team, the Detroit Red Wings. We'll look at the schedule changes uh, going forward, and we will also take a look at the recent games for the Jackets as they were in Carolina last Thursday. Baby chicken parm, baby. It was absolutely fantastic to see the Jackets thriving, but also defeated on Saturday by the Florida Panthers. We'll talk about that in the Jacket Roundup, as well as diving into some college basketball, as well as the LPGA back into the swing of things. was watching some of that coverage today on the Golf Channel. We'll talk about all that. But first and foremost, like I said, you can be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Elford. It is at all Andy Elford as well as Facebook.com slash all Andy Elford. So welcome in. Uh also gotta make mention of this right off the bat. Uh I want to sp- send a special thank you to my former broadcast partner, uh Nick the Money Man Devera. Uh like you said, if you haven't followed his YouTube account. He's got a food channel. He does food reviews. We sent him a box of Canadian treats. He plugged our show. We're plugging his stuff right now on the YouTube channel. So go and check out his stuff on YouTube. We'll share the link on our on the on this episode's page. So got to make mention of that right off the bat. So let's dive right into it. Let's start talking a little bit about the National Football League. And let's talk about the wild card weekend. And it was a fantastic wild card weekend. We're not going to, there is no more of the recap of the guy in the background going, Hello, National Football League. As we are now down to now eight teams. And I think all eight teams that have been sifted through the wild card weekend are Super Bowl contending teams. I think the league has got it right on teams making it to the postseason, I think this is, honestly, I think this is some of the best football that we're going to be able to watch here in the next two weeks. And to say what we saw on Sunday was something, it all started Saturday for me. And it started off with the divisional wild card matchup 
as the, as the former Oakland Raiders, now the Las Vegas Raiders, traveled across the country to battle the Bengals in the jungle. The Bengals, the AFC North champions, took on the Derek Carr and the John Gruden-less Las Vegas Raiders. And, you know, Paul Brown Stadium was just absolutely rocking a sellout crowd on hand. And who they, who they, who they say going to beat them Bengals? As the Bengals just honestly held on. Derek Carr, a great outing for him. He was 29 for 54 for 310 yards, one TD, one interception. As Jacobs was 13 carries for 83 yards for the Raiders in the game. Uh, you had Waller with seven catches for 76 yards, no TDs. Jones, five catches, 61 yards, one TD in the game. The Raiders had 19 points in total, but for the Bengals, the Bengals, Joe Burrow becoming, I think, an elite quarterback now, in my opinion. He was 24 for 34 for 244 yards, two TDs, no interceptions. His QBR rating was a 62.6%. Mixon was into the case. He had 17 carries for 48 yards. Jamar Chase, three carries for 23 yards. He led in the receiving front at nine catches for 116 yards. CJ Uzuma, Six catches, 64 yards, one TD. Boyd, four catches, 26 yards, one TD in the game. As the Bengals get over the schneid, getting their first win, playoff win in 31 years by beating the Raiders and cashing in the chips over the Raiders 26-19. to The overall team stats looked like this. The Raiders had 23 first downs to the Bengals, 18 on third down, the Bengals were 5 for 12. The Raiders were 8 for 18. Raiders 1 for 2 on fourth down. The Bengals a perfect 1 for 1. The Bengals had 308 total yards of offense, 225 through the air, 83 yards on the ground. That's gonna, they're going to have to step up the rushing game going forward. In the, rush, in the total yards for the Raiders, they had 385 total yards, 282 through the air, 103 yards on the ground. Seven penalties for both teams. The Bengals had 56 yards in penalties to the Raiders, 46. Uh, two turnovers in the game really were costly for the for the Raiders. They had one fumble and one interception where Joe Burrow did not throw an interception and there was no fumble lost. As the Bengals led in time of possession at 31 minutes and 51 seconds to the Raiders, 28 minutes and 9 seconds. So Saturday starting off on a good note for yours truly. I picked, the, you heard what, my prediction earlier in the week, I picked the Bengals. I was 1-0, so I was very happy with that. When we get to the game I was really looking forward to, which was the Saturday night matchup, as it was Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills taking on Mac Jones and the New England Patriots. The process was simple enough. Buffalo needed to control the game, and they did control the game. They stepped on the gas pedal, running over Bill Belichick's offensive schemes, running down the defensive end, defensive game, and absolutely just obliterating, obliterating the defense. Because Allen was 21 for 25 for 308 total yards of offense. In the game for the Bills. Five, five TDs in the game. His QBR rating was a 98.5 in this game. Unbelievable. 
Singletary, 16 carries for 81 yards, two TDs in the game. Josh Allen is the leading rusher on this team. He had six carries for 66 yards. Unbelievable. Cox, five catches, 80, 89 yards, two TDs. Suggs, three catches, 60 yards, no TDs. Davis, two care, catches, 41 yards, one TD. Sanders, two catches, 36 yards, one TD. And Doyle, just a simple pass play. Touchdown. One catch, one yard, one touchdown. For Mac Jones, he struggled. He was 24 for 38 for 232 total yards of offense, two TDs, two interceptions. His QBR rating was a 59.6. Harris, nine carries, 30 yards. Bourne, seven catches, 77 yards. He had both touchdowns in the game. Myers, six catches, 40 yards. Stevenson, four catches, 33 yards. As the Patriots fall by 30 to the Bills, 47-17. Overall team stats. The Bills had 29 first downs to the Patriots, 20. On third down... The Patriots were hitting at 50% at 7 for 14. The Bills, 6 for 7. However, the Patriots were perfect on fourth down. They were 4 for 4. The Patriots have 305 total yards of offense, 216 through the air, 89 yards on the ground. The Bills had 482 total yards of offense, 308 through the air, 174 on the ground. The penalties were in favor of the Patriots. They have five penalties for 34 yards. The Bills, three penalties for 47 yards. The two interceptions were costly for Mac Jones as the Bills did not have any turnovers in the game. The Bills led in time of possession at 31 minutes and 25 seconds to the Patriots, 28 minutes and 35 seconds. The Bills are, in my opinion, for real. I think Josh Allen, elite quarterback, Mac Jones, it's getting there. It's getting there. But I, 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 I still see the division in favor of the, of the Bills for the next two to three years. And I think we're seeing a, a, a rivalry between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. They both like each other. No, no don't get me wrong. They both like each other. Josh Allen today was on the uh, Pat McAfee show, which I listened to, and he says that him and, and, and Mahomes are good friends and you know and everything like that. But what I'm seeing out of this, these two guys, is Manning versus Brady again, but the younger version of this. And I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. I can't wait for these two to battle it out coming forward. We'll get to that here in just a second. For Belichick, Belichick now goes out, loses, He's out. So, we get to Sunday. And the three slate games on Sunday. We're going to start first and foremost with the early game, which is Tampa. Tampa hosting the Philadelphia Eagles. Tampa winning the NFC South. And Brady was yet again dominant in this game. As Tom Brady and the Buccaneers raised the Jolly Roger. As Brady was 29 for 37. For 200, excuse me, for 271 yards, two TDs, but his QBR rating was a 52.4%. That kind of worries me a little bit on that on that front. As Vaughn had 17 carries for 53 yards. Bernard, 13 carries, 44 yards. Scotty Miller, one carry, nine yards in the game. As Evans, nine catches, 117 yards, one TD in the game. Gronk! Rob Gronkowski, five 
catches for 31 yards, one TD in the game, which is the key touchdown, in my opinion, to put it away. Uh, Bernard, five catches, 39 yards. Scotty Miller, one catch, eight yards in the game. Brady, you know, four of 28 of sacking. You know, that's not really going to cut it all that much. But for the Eagles, it was Jalen Hurt, uh, Jalen Hurts at quarterback. He was 23 for 43 for 253 yards, one TD, two interceptions. His QBR rating was a 20. That's not going to hurt. Cut it. He was also the leading rusher. He had eight carries for 39 yards. Scott, one carry, 34 yards, one TD in the game. That was only the bright spot in the Eagles' rushing defense. Uh, and the receiving core, it was Goddard, six catches, 92 yards. You had Ganwell with five catches, 49 yards, one TD in the game. Smith, four catches, 60 yards, one TD in the game. As the Tampa Bay Buccaneers continued their dominance and win and beat the Eagles 31-15. to Overall team stats, the Bucks had 23 first downs to the Eagles 14. On third down, the Eagles were 5 for 14. Tampa Bay 4 for 13. On fourth down, the Eagles were 1 for 3, where Tampa was 0 for 1. So that was not a good stat for Tampa right there. They, they kind of, I felt like they a little held back a little bit because they knew that the Eagles were, they were decimated all that much and they were a wild card team just getting into the playoff. I think that this week for Tampa, it's really going to kick it up, and I'll get I'll get to that here in just a second. Total yards, Tampa had 349 total yards of offense, 243 through the air, 106 on the ground. On the rush on the side for the Eagles, it was 339 yards of total offense, 244 through the air for the Eagles, 95 on the ground. Penalties, four penalties for both teams. The Eagles had four penalties for 45 yards. Uh, the the Buccaneers, four penalties for 35 yards. Three turnovers in the game killed the Eagles. They lost a fumble, and they and Jalen Hurts threw two interceptions. The time of possession went towards the Buccaneers at 33 minutes and 3 seconds to the Eagles, 26 minutes and 57 seconds. By the way, in red zone completions, the Eagles were 1 for 1. They only had one attempt in the red zone, where Tampa was 3 for 5 in red zone attempts. Think about that here. In just a second, as Tampa Bay getting the 31-15 win over the Eagles, continuing their postseason and sending Philadelphia back to the cheesesteak factory that is Philadelphia. Now we get to the game that everybody's been talking about this whole week. And this is the game that took place in Jerry World as the San Francisco 49ers took the Green Bay Packers. By the way, I had Tampa. That's 3-0. So in this game, I had the 49ers in this game. I did not believe, I don't believe in Dallas. I never believed in Dallas all this year. I I told you guys this at the beginning of the season. They're going to have stretches where they're going to be good. They're going to have stretches where they're absolutely terrible. And then they're going to get to the postseason. And we don't know what Dallas team we're going to have. If they're going to be good or bad, good or bad. In my opinion, McCarthy screwed up this game. Dak Prescott screwed up in this game. As the 49ers went into Jerry World to take on the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, this game, I watched the majority of this game. 
in my opinion, Dallas beat themselves. They beat themselves on the time on on play and on the field, as well as beating themselves in every single fashion of the football game. Not having the absolute best. You're in the playoffs. You're a division winner. You need to step up to the plate. And San Francisco was running high on the momentum of beating the Rams last Sunday to get into the playoffs. To get a spot in the playoffs. And Kyle Shanahan drew up game plan that absolutely proves yet again that McCarthy is not the man in the position for the coaching job. Jerry Jones and that that bag of bones needs to step away from being the GM. Plain simple. He is not, he is not the right man for the position. He really isn't. I had a I have a coworker in my other job who was a cowboy fan. She, you know, seeing all the people, all the memes of people crying. You knew what was going to happen, Cowboy fans. You knew exactly what was going to happen in this game. As Jimmy G was 16 for 25 for 172 yards, he didn't throw a single interception in the game. Touchdown in the game. He threw one interception. His QBR rating was 68.5%. It was all in the rushing game between Mitchell, who had 27 carries, for 96 yards, one TD. And Samuel, who had 10 carries for 72 yards, one TD in the game. It was all done on the ground and in the air by field goals. As a Duque, five catches, 66 yards. Samuel, three catches, 38 yards. Jennings, three catches, 29 yards. George Kittle was only targeted one time for 18 yards. Unbelievable. We're Dallas. You look at Dak Prescott. His numbers. Like I mentioned before, Jimmy G's QBR rating was a 68.5. Prescott's was a 27. He was 23 for 43 for 254 yards. One TD, one interception. He had five sacks. He was sacked five times. Five times. Elliott. And I, I told you this. That San Francisco's defense on the run game was there. Absolutely there. Elliott, 12 tut carries for only 31 yards. Prescott had four carries for 27 yards, including the botch run play. Now everybody's gonna say to me, everybody's gonna, everybody's been saying, well, why did he run it with less than less than 30 seconds to go and run it down the field? If you look at that play again, the passing lanes were closed. The only play that was happening was in the middle of the field. And he was figuring that he had enough time. He had enough time to run it down the field. Now, when you run it down the field, okay, you run it down the field. Once you slide, you get up, you hand the official the ball. You don't give it to the center just for him to set it. And the official has to touch the ball. The official has to touch the ball. My father, who's been an NFL, who's been a 
who's been an official in football, said that the official did the right thing. Once the official touches the ball, it's a live ball, and then they can spike it. Why wasn't Prescott there to toss the ball to the official, the official then putting the ball down for him to spike it at the 25-yard line? It was a fail to communicate there. Now, the pass, the run play was absolutely... I, 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 I don't get why he decided to run that, run that football. Throw it away, and you have two Hail Mary passes attempts. With the amount of time that you took off the clock. Why not do that? But that's not cowboy football for you. Cooper, six catches for 64 yards, one TD. Schultz, seven catches, 89 yards, the leading receiver. C.D. Lamb, one catch, 21 yards. Wilson, five catches, 62 yards. As them boys fall to the Niners, 23-17. As I sip my drink. How about them Cowboys? Are out for the Super Bowl. Overall team stats look like this. Niners had 21, 21 first downs. The Cowboys 20. On third down, the Niners were 6 for 13. Cowboys 5 for 14. Cowboys were 1 for 2 on fourth down. Total yards. Cowboys had 307 total yards of offense. 230 through the air. 77 on the ground. They had, for the Niners, 341 yards of total offense. 172 through the air, 169 on the ground. And here's another thing. The Cowboys are the most penalized team in all of the National Football League in the regular season and in the postseason. They have 14 penalties for 89 yards. That shows you inconsistency with coaching as well as with with the playing of, on the field. Playing simple. Can't have that. Niners, nine penalties, 58 yards. Time of possession went to the to the Niners at 33 minutes and 59 seconds to the Dallas Cowboys, 26 minutes and one second. Both teams turned the football over once. Both teams threw interceptions as the boys fall to the Niners, 23-17. So, 4-0. Okay, we go now to the Sunday night football game which was Kansas City hosting Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it was just, for me, it was a slugfest in the first quarter. No scoring across. No scoring across. And then once the Steelers crossed the goal line, for me... It woke up the Kansas City Chiefs because the Chiefs put 21 unanswered in the second quarter alone. Put the shellacking to Najee Harris. Put the beating and the raping to Raplessburger. And the Chiefs just kept going it in the second half. Pounding them yet again. We knew that Pittsburgh was not going to be a playoff team. We knew that. I knew that. You knew that. We all know that. 
that Pittsburgh wasn't a playoff team. And the fact that this team absolutely just rolled over was what I expected. Especially against the team who's the defending AFC champions. Who has Patty Mahomes! Patrick Mahomes! As the quarterback. As Mahomes just just tore into the offense. He was 30 for 39 for 404 yards, five touchdowns, one interception. That interception cost them in in the front in the game. He QBR rating was a 68. Unbelievable. McKinnon, 12 carries, 61 yards. Mahomes ran the football three times for 29 yards. Travis Kelsey, five catches, 108 yards, one TD. McKinnon, six catches, 61 yards, one TD in the game. He targeted Pringle more than anything else, who had five catches for 37 yards, two TDs in the game. Tyreek Hill, five catches, 57 yards, one TD in the game. For the Steelers, Roethlisberger, 29 for 44, for 215 total yards, two TDs. His QBR rating was a 15. Not good. Najee, 12 carries for 29 yards. Washington, two catches, 37 yards, one TD. DeAndre Johnson, five catches, 34 yards, one TD. Juju Smith-Schuster, back in the lineup for this one game. Five catches for 26 yards. Claypool, three catches, 25 yards. Watt, no catches, no touchdowns, no receiving yards. He was targeted once. Terrible. Najee fumbled it and lost it. So, as the Chiefs continue their pounding ways, oh, with a 42-21 win over the Steelers. The overall team stats look like this. Kansas City at 26 first downs to the Steelers 19. On third down, the Steelers 7 for 16. They were perfect 2 for 2 on fourth down, where the Chiefs were 8 for 12 on third down and did not attempt attempt on fourth down. The Chiefs had 478 yards total offense, 372 through the air, 106 on the ground. Total yards for the Steelers, they had 257 total yards of offense, 201 through the air, 56 yards on the ground. Four penalties, 45 yards for the Steelers, three penalties, 25 yards for the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs turned it over twice with a fumble and an interception, where the Steelers only turned it over once with a fumble lost by Najee Harris. It was a defensive touchdown, which is the interception, which is which caught, excuse me, the fumble, which caused... Kansas City to turn on the Jets. They led in time of both teams, even in time of possession, at 30 minutes apiece. So the Chiefs move on, beat Pittsburgh 42-21 on 5-0. Then we get to Monday. The first ever Monday night wild card game as it was Kyler Murray. I'm Kyler Murray. And the Arizona Cardinals taking on the L.A. Rams. Matthew Stafford, my feeling on Stafford is this. I'm just glad that he made the postseason again with a new team. It was just good to see him do that. Um, I, I heck Arizona in the game because I always, uh, I, I'll, say it, I'll say it here right now. You can take Stafford out of Detroit 
but you can't take the Detroit out of Matthew Stafford, in my opinion. But he did get over the hump. I'll give him that. As Stafford was 13 for 17 for 202 yards, two TDs in the game. And then Mitchell, 13 carries for 58 yards, no TDs. Akers, 17 carries for 55 yards, no TDs. Stafford ran the ball once, uh, six times, for 22 yards, one TD in the game. As Cooper Cup was targeted five times for 61 yards, one TD in the game. OBJ, four catches, 54 yards, one TD in the game. Higby, three catches, 46 yards in the game. As the Rams were dominating in the game, as it was then Kyler Murray, 19 for 34, he struggled. You could tell that in this game, Arizona just checked down. They checked down. Murray, 19 for 34 for 137 total yards. No touchdowns, two interceptions. His QBR was a 7.6. It can't happen. It just can't happen like that. Edmonds, 8 carries, 28 yards. Connor, 4 carries, 19 yards, 1 TD. He was coming back from an injury as it was Kirk, 6 catches, 51 yards. Moore, 5 catches, 32 yards. Benjamin, 2 catches, 26 yards. Zach Ernst, 3 catches, 21 yards. As the Cardinals get beat and are eliminated from the postseason by Matthew Stafford and the Rams, 34-11. to The Rams led in first downs, 14-16. to On third down, Cardinals were 0 for 9. 0 for 9 on third down. Well, the Rams were 6 for 13 on third down. On fourth down, the Cardinals were 1 for 2, where the Rams did not attempt on fourth down. The Cardinals only had 183 total yards of offense, 122 through the air, only 61 on the ground. I mean, hell, the Rams had more in rushing at 140 yards than the Cardinals did in passing. And passing-wise, the Rams had 235 total yards of offense, which totals out to 375 total yards of offense. In red zone opportunities, the Cardinals were 1-for-1 and made attempts, where the Rams were 3-for-4. Seven penalties, 50 yards for the Cardinals. Six penalties, 48 yards for the Rams. Two interceptions thrown by Kyle Murray, including one that I think he should have just fell down, took the safety for the two points. He threw it up. The Rams intercepted it, and they take it in for six. The Cardinals fell apart like the Walmart sweater in the dryer. It just fell apart at the end. And now you gotta go to the you gotta go to the drawing board with, with Kingsbury. You really do. Is he the right man for the position? After this season, I don't see it. I I, I really don't see it. Time of possession went to the Rams at thirty five minutes and forty six seconds. To the Cardinals, twenty four minutes and fourteen seconds. And that is the breakdown of all of the NFL Wild Card Weekend games that took place last past weekend. You know, and it, it, it was a great weekend of, college, of of NFL football. 
It really was. And, you know, it gets you excited for what this upcoming weekend is. And that's what we're going to talk about next is the NFL Divisional Football Playoffs right here on All Andy Alford. As you're listening to us tonight on the plethora of platforms, whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Bleaker, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. And now let's preview the NFL Divisional Playoffs this weekend. So now let's take a look at the divisional matchups, of course. A big matchup slate, four games in two days, of course. We'll start on Saturday afternoon, 4.30 kickoff, as the number one seeds will be playing in the divisional round as it will be reseeded out as the Cincinnati Bengals, led by Joe Burrow, will head down to Nashville, Tennessee, to take on the Titan Up, baby, the Tennessee Titans. Titans 12 and 5, Bengals 10 and 7 overall, 430 kickoff on CBS. The Titans are a three and a half point favorite in this one. I think, in my opinion, teams that take a bye who have been off now for eight days will have a lot of rust on them. Uh there is some aspect to having a good rest when it comes to playing. And the Titans are one of those teams that, honestly, in my opinion, should have kept playing. Um, I think uh, elite quarter. You have two good quarterbacks in this matchup: Burrow versus Tannehill. You got Chase in the running game for the Bengals. You have Henry that's you know trying to come back. Um. Like I said, Titans three and a half point favorite in this game. I'm taking the Bengals. I have Cincinnati winning this game. I think they can get the job done. They have not yet won a playoff road game in a long time. In a very long time. I think they I think because of how young the Titan team is, you're gonna see a lot of rust. I think the Bengals can attack on that. And I think Cincinnati can get a win. And win on Saturday at 4.30 against the Titans. I really do. The nightcap 8.15 kickoff. Which will see the Packers. Number one overall seed in the AFC. AFC North champions. 13-4 overall. Will take on Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers. Now like I mentioned before. Tannehill and the the Titans are a young team. They're going to have a lot of rust. Whereas the Packers are an older team. Aaron Rodgers really hasn't played much football ever since he was taken out against Detroit in Week 18. I think, in my opinion, the rest was beneficial for the Packers than it would be for the Titans. I like the Packers to beat the 49ers. I really do. Um, right now, Tampa—I mean, uh, Green Bay is 5.5-point favorite in this game. It's going to be cold in... Green Bay, it's a night game, so it'll be even colder. I think Green Bay's got the edge in that one. I think Green, I mean, the Super Bowl in the AFC is going to have to run through Green Bay, and I think Green Bay gets the job done. I think they win on Saturday at 8.15 on Fox over the 49ers. Then we get to Sunday. 3 p.m. kickoff on NBC will feature the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the defending Super Bowl champions who are 13-4 and four overall, taking on Matthew Stafford 
and the LA Rams. Now, this is a big matchup. Like I said, all eight teams that are in the playoff right now are all Super Bowl contenders. All Super Bowl contenders. I like Tampa, though, in this game. Tampa's a three-point favorite in this game. I think that the way that if they can get Fournette running a little bit better on that on the offensive side for Tampa Bay, and you can get to the targets. I know I know the offensive line is going to be hard, having a hard time with Von Miller and Aaron Donald trying to contend them to get to, to protect Pat Brady in the pocket. But I think that Tampa defense is strong. Very, very strong. They can get to Stafford really easily, and they can shut down the targets. I like Tampa in this game. I really do. I'm going to take Tampa to beat the Rams in that one. And then that sets up the Sunday night game. 6.30 on CBS, Jim Nance, Tommy Romo doing the game. Buffalo, 11-6 overall. Heads up to Arrowhead to battle the Kansas City Chiefs, who are 12-5 overall. 6.30 kick on CBS. Kansas City is a one-and-a-half point favorite. Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes. Like I mentioned before, we're seeing Brady versus Manning again. This is the younger version of this. I like both guys. Uh, I believe Kansas City is a good team. But I believe that there was some shortfalls coming to them against Pittsburgh. They're, they they have chances in that secondary that just that just don't blend. That are just not good, and it scares me. It honestly scares me. And for the fact of this, I like Josh Allen. I like the receiving core. I've been a big, big, big fan of his. I like Patty Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. I like Kelsey. I like all that. Do I see them? My gut tells me to take Kansas City. They're only a one and a half point favorite. But my heart is saying take Buffalo in this game. And I'm going to take Buffalo in this game. I think Kansas City gets upsetted in Arrowhead. I really, really do. What sets up Buffalo versus Cincinnati for the AFC Championship game. That's what I really do. I I, I just think that's the case. I really do. I think that both road teams in the AFC are going to upset the home teams. I really, really do. And then the home teams in the AFC side are going to beat the road teams in the AFC side. I really do. So again, I have the Bengals beating the Titans, the Packers beating the 49ers on Saturday, and the Sunday slate, Tampa Bay beating the Rams and Buffalo defeating the Kansas City Chiefs. It's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. To see how it all shakes out. News and notes, of course, to pass along. Uh, the NFL has asked a Nevada court to dismiss the John Gruden lawsuit. Uh, Bruce Arians from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers has been fined $50,000 for striking a player into the helmet. If you saw the play, he struck the guy in the helmet to like pump him up and try to stop him from, you know, antagonizing him. 
Uh, Henry has passed the test with contact practice. So there's that for you. And uh, the question is, is, is uh, we haven't heard yet from Big Ben if this was his last game. A lot of people think it is. A lot of people think it was. I agree. So congratulations on a great career, Ben. Congratulations. As you're listening to all Andy Offer tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Leaker, Stitcher, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, before we get into the Jack and Report, dive into this really quickly. Uh, uh, some college football news to pass along to you locally-wise. Uh, Jason Candle, the head coach of the University of Toledo Rockets, was offered an offensive coordinator position at Miami, Florida University. Now, he was offered the position. This is a report from the Toledo Blade. He was offered the position, and he rejected the position to take become the new offensive coordinator from the University of Toledo. And in turn, the university is planning on giving him an extension in some aspects to that extent. So you Rocket fans that think that Candle is the right man, you're probably going to deal with them for another two years because that's what looks like the extension is going to be for two years for $2.5 million. So we'll see how that all shakes out as well. So with that in mind, let's hit to hit the rink. It's, it's ice cold outside. It's time to hit the rink. It's time for the Jackers report. And boy, oh boy, the hot and cold Columbus Blue Jackets. It's time to fire the cannon, and it's time to put on your jackets. It's time for the Jackets Report, right here on All Andy Alfred. So it's now time for the Jackets Report right here on All Andy Alfred. And we're going to start first and foremost from the last time I talked to you guys, which was last Thursday at this time. The Jackets were taking on the Carolina Hurricanes, a huge game for the Jackets as they were going into Carolina. Carolina, the top team in the Metropolitan Division. And from the drop of the puck, you kind of felt like this game was going to be, you know, I felt, in my opinion, that we just if we could just get a point out of it, we could just we'll be fine. And sure enough, the Jackets took the Hurricanes to the woodshed. And I think this was a retaliation game, in my opinion, from New Year's Day when the Jackets were up four nothing against Carolina, and Carolina scored seven unanswered on the Jackets, and just absolutely dominated the Blue Jackets. In every aspect of the game, taking Tarasov out of the game with an injury and putting a cold Elvis Merzlinkis. Merzlinkis comes into this game as the starter and was shut down. He was probably some of the best performance I have seen him play in my in my career watching this team. One goal, the goaltender was absolutely fantastic. Merzlinkis, an absolute stunning game. It all started with Emil Benstrom starting off the scoring at the 8:43 mark of the first period, beating. Beating the goaltender, uh, Frederick Anderson. It was one nothing Jackets from Roslovic and Bean. 
at the 8.43 mark of the first period. It was 1-0 Jackets. And then in the second, Igor Chinnikov on a slap shot, beating Frederick Anderson again. It was 2-0 Jackets after 40 minutes. Gavrikov and Robinson with the assist on that goal. And then in the third period, the Jackets took off. A great setup pass, a three-on-two play that developed. A great setup. The Jackets capitalize. Jenner gets the puck, passes it over to Line A, and Line A just a frozen rope, beating Anderson. It was 3-0. And then, not even, not even a, less than a minute later, Igor Chinnikov gets the fourth of the of the season. His second of the night from Robinson and Corrali. It's 4-0 Jackets. The Anderson gets pulled. The young kid comes into the game. Young kid comes into the game for the Hurricanes. And that's LaFontaine, who's just signed a contract on Sunday with the Hurricanes. Comes in in relief on Sunday. He came in relief on, on Thursday. And the first shot he took was on Cole Sillinger. And Sillinger beats him. On a breakaway from Bjorkstrand and Bean, it's 5-0 Jackets. Roslovic puts the dagger in for his sixth of the season from Texi and Benstrom. 6-0 Jackets. And the Jackets, with Elvis Merz-Lincoln stopping all 31 shots on net, give the Jackets a big 6-0 win. Roslovic, the number three star. Chinikov, the number two star. And Merz-Lincoln's. The number one star in the game. The Jackets getting a huge win over the Carolina Hurricanes by a score of 6 to nothing. They outshot the Hurricanes in the game 35-31. The Hurricanes led in the faceoff down at 56.5% to 43.5%. Both teams over on the power play. However, Carolina had a six, had 16 minutes in penalties to Columbus's 6. Jackets out hitting the Hurricanes in the game 16-11. to They are out blocked by the Hurricanes in the game 11-10. to they had 17 giveaways. The Hurricanes did to the Jackets three, but they the Hurricanes had 13 takeaways. The Columbus's nine takeaways. Jackets out shooting them in the first period, 18 to 10. They both tied in the second period, nine shots apiece. Carolina with 12 shots. The Jackets with eight shots in the third period. The Jackets a big win in that aspect. Merce Lincoln stopping all 31 attempts and going perfect in the game for. Anderson stopping 28 of 32. His save percentage of 0.875. LaFontaine coming in stopping 1 of 3. His save percentage of 0.133. The Jackets a huge win over Carolina on, on Thursday. Last Thursday at this time. They went in on Saturday night into Sunrise, Florida. The Battle of the Florida Panthers. And the Panthers just absolutely mauling the Blue Jackets in this game from start to finish. It started off 46 seconds into the first period as, as Carl Verhage getting his 12th of the season from Wagner and Barkoff. It was 1-0 Florida. Then the former Jacket, Andrew Duclair, his 16th of the season from Huberto and Ekblad on the power play, giving the the, the Panthers a 2-0 lead. Then Wiegner, Wiegar, his third of the season from Reinhardt and Ekblad. It was 3-0 Florida. And then Verhage getting his second of the game, uh, second of the period, second of the game, his 13th of the season, and it was 4-0 Panthers after 20 minutes of play. Sam Reinhardt and Wieger, the assist on those goals. In the second, it kept going for the Panthers. It was Huberto, his 15th of the season from Bennett. It was 5-0 Florida. 
And I just, I turned the game off after the first period because I just couldn't take it. I really couldn't take it. It was just absolutely a mauling. We're going to keep blowing through this. Lindell getting his eighth of the season at the 12-10 mark of the second period was 6 nothing Florida from Lumberg and Hornquist. After 40 minutes, the Jackets were down 6 to nothing. Thank God Gus Nyquist stopped some of the bleeding. He getting a him getting a power play goal on the backhand at the two eleven mark of the third period, making a, cutting the deficit to six one from Domi and Bean. But then Bennett continuing his play, not even not even a minute and change later, getting his fifteenth of the season from Duclair was seven one Florida. Lindell, then his ninth of the season from Wegar and Ekblad. It was 8-1 Florida. And then Lumberg, his fourth of the season from Lonestead on a tip-in shot. It was 9-1 Florida before the captain, Boudin Jenner, getting his 15th of the season at the 10-50 mark of the third period from Nyquist and Peak. It was 9-2 Florida. That was the final at BBT Play Center. That's the Jackets. Absolutely destroyed, mauled, defeated. Nine goal scored as the Panthers improve and won their ninth straight game, beating the Jackets nine to two in the game. Weger, the number one star, Ekblad, the number two star, Lindell, the number three star. Shots on goal in the game. Florida led in the shot department 51 to 30. The Jackets led in the face-off department at 56.2% to 44%. It was one for Jackets, one for four on the power play. So was Florida, one for four on the power play. Both teams had eight minutes and penalty minutes. The Jackets out hit the Panthers in the game 29 to 19. They outblocked the Panthers in the game 14 to 11. And take giveaways were in favor of the Jackets at 18 to 20. The Panthers had 12. 14 takeaways to the Jackets. 8. 20 shots in the first period for Florida. 16 in the second. 15 in the third for the Jackets. 9 shots in the first. 8 shots in the second. 13 in the third. This was an absolute mauling. Merce Linkitz was 11 for 15. 7.33% save percentage. Corpusalo came in the rest of the way, stopping 31 of 36. His save percentage of a .861. For Florida in the game, it was the Bob, Sergei Bobrovsky, Bobrovsky, 28 for 30. Save percentage of a .933. Florida's for real, and Florida's really good this year. They really are, and uh, there's nothing I could say that could change your mind on that. And I love what Larson did. Now, there was a report that came out on Tuesday when they went – they came back to Nationwide Arena this past week. Their game Tuesday night against the Islanders was postponed due to uh, COVID that was scheduled way back in the in the past, a few weeks ago. So they had a practice, and Larson did what I wanted Larson to do. He made them do the Herb Brooks run line to line, back and forth, back and forth. And they need to do that. That shows discipline. He needs to do that more. He honestly needs to do that more. These young guys need to be set straight when they're defeated this badly. Especially this badly. When you lose 
to Florida, you, you, uh, not even two days before the Florida game, you go in and beat the holy piss out of Carolina. 6 nothing. Your goaltender bails you out. You go to Florida and you absolutely shit the bed. 4 nothing after 20. 6 nothing after 40. You can't have that happen. You cannot have that happen. You cannot have that happen. You cannot have that happen. And I love what Larson did. It's not on the, him. It's on the team. And it's not just him. He needs to take responsibility. The team needs to take responsibility for this terrible loss. This is probably one of the worst losses I've seen this team have. And we're going back to last year when the Jackets absolutely fell apart at this time against Detroit. When you're absolutely dominated in the game, every aspect of the shooting game, you lead in the face-off dot, you lead in all the other departments, but you can't put the puck on the net. When you put 17 shots on goal in the first two periods of the game and your opponent has put up almost 40 shots, that's embarrassing. That is completely and utterly embarrassing. You play the full 60 minutes of hockey, no matter what the situation is. And how embarrassed this game was. It's just, for me, it was just, this was ridiculous. That game was just absolutely, I'm glad I turned it off after after the first period. Because I... There would have been another. There would have been a special version of the show after that game. That would have just flipped. But I love what Larson did, making them run the sprints, putting the responsibility on the players to step up the game, and they have to step up to the game tonight. They are in Philadelphia. This is a huge game for the Jackets, an absolute huge game for the Jackets, as they are in Philadelphia tonight to take on the Flyers for the first time this season. The Flyers, 13, 18, and 8. The Jackets, 17, 18, and 1. You talk about how big these games are. This is a huge game. This is a must-win for the Jackets. These next two games are must-win for the Jackets. We have a long stretch of home games coming up that's going to be huge for the Jackets. Absolutely huge. You have Philadelphia tonight in Philadelphia. Tomorrow, you play Pittsburgh at home. You need to win these two games. These are huge. Absolutely huge. You want to stay pace with the wild card race? This, These two games are must win for the Jackets. If they don't win, if they only get three points out of this, I'm fine with it. If they get Four points out of it, I'm fine with it. If they get two points out of it, I have concerns. If they get nothing out of it, it's done. This season is done. Because it's a stretch where we play Ottawa, which is just a terrible team. We play at home against Calgary, which is a good team. You play the Rangers, who are the third team in the Metropolitan Division. Then you play Montreal, who's garbage. Then you play Florida at home. You play Florida at home, and then the All-Star break. And now we got the schedule re-released for games that are going to be happening post-All-Star break because of the COVID outbreak that we had before Christmas. 
That's what we're going to get into now. The Jackets have reassigned a lot of their games going forward. The updates have changed for the Jackets. So here it is. Here are the changes in the, the spectrum for the Jackets going forward this upcoming week, this upcoming season. See here, pull it up here really quickly. Pull it up here really quickly. See here. I mean, it's huge. These are huge games. Going forward. Okay, so here it is. Of note, here are the rescheduled home games for the Jackets. On December 20th, they were scheduled to play Buffalo at Nationwide Arena. That game has now been moved to February 20th. On December 27th, they were scheduled to play Toronto at Nationwide. That game's now moved to February 22nd. On the 29th of April, game was scheduled to be against Tampa Bay. That's now been moved to April 28th. Also, March 7th, this game against Toronto has been now moved from 7.30 to 7 in that aspect. On the road side of things, here are the games. April 12th's game against Pittsburgh has now been moved to Friday, April 29th. April 28th's game against the Washington Capitals has now been moved to February 8th. April 29th, the Jackets will take on Tampa in Tampa. That has now been moved to April 28th. So there is that for you. So, February 8th, they're at Washington. February 10th, they're at Buffalo. February 12th, they're in Montreal to battle the Canadians. February 15th, they're in Calgary to battle the Flames. February 17th, they're in Chicago to battle the Hawks. February 20th, they're at home against Buffalo. The 22nd, against Toronto. The 24th, they're at Florida. 25th, they're at Carolina, and the 27th, they're in pit at home against the Pittsburgh Penguins. So there is those scheduling changes for you. Now I wanted to make mention of the Red Wings change schedule. The Red Wings had games postponed as well too. January 18th, game against the Flyers and Philadelphia has now been moved to February 9th, 7 o'clock drop for that one. Philadelphia comes to Detroit, was scheduled on February 23rd. That's now been moved to February 12th at noon. Detroit is was scheduled to be in Minnesota on Christmas Eve Eve. That's now been moved to Valentine's Day, February 14th at 8 o'clock. They were scheduled also to be in New York to battle the Rangers on the 27th. That's now been moved to February 17th at 7 o'clock. 
Colorado was scheduled to be in Detroit on the 20th of December. That has now been moved to February 23rd. The first game as Toronto comes to Little Caesars, April 26th, has now been moved to the first game for them against Detroit on February 26th. April 26th to February 26th. Detroit was scheduled to be on the island on the 29th of December. That has now been moved to March 24th. And Toronto was scheduled to host the, the Red Wings on the 26th of February. That has now been moved to April 26th. So those are the schedules changes for you. So the Jackets, like I mentioned, have Philadelphia tonight. <coughs> Excuse me. Pittsburgh tomorrow. Ottawa on Sunday. So three big games for the Jackets. But these Knicks, these two, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, are must-win for the Jackets to go in to keep pace in the Metropolitan Division. And this is why I say that. You look at the standings going forward. We'll start with the Atlantic, and we're just looking at wildcard matchups. Top three looks like this. Tampa Bay is in the top spot, 27-9-5 with 59 points. Florida, 26-8-5 with 57 points. Toronto is right there at 24-10-3. With 51 points. In the Metropolitan Division, the Rangers are 26, 10, and 4 with 56 points. Carolina is now 26, 8, and 2 with 54 points. Washington, 22, 9, and 9 with 53 points. The wild card race looks like this. Top spot is the Pittsburgh Penguins at 23, 10, and 5 with 51 points. Boston, 22, 12, and 2 with 46 points. The Red Wings on the outside looking in at 18, 17, and 5 with 41 points. Columbus is right there, right behind them. They are six points behind the Red Wings at 17, 18, and 1 with 35 points. The Flyers are 13, 18, and 8 with 34 points. That's going into tonight's game. So this is a big game. Jackets want to keep pace with Detroit. They've got to win and have Philadelphia lose tonight, beat them, lose tonight, win tonight over Philadelphia to push Philadelphia back. Because the Devils are right there at 14, 19, and 5 with 33 points. The Islanders are 13, 13, and 6 with 32 points. Buffalo 12, 20, and 7 with 31 points. Ottawa is 11, 19, and 2 with 24 points. And Montreal is 8, 25, and 5 with 21 points. Western Conference looks like this in the central. Colorado holding the top spot at 26, 8, and 3 with 55 points. St. Louis 23, 11, and 5 with 51 points. Nashville 24, 14, and 3 with 51 points. In the Pacific Division, the Vegas Golden Knights holding the top spot at 23, 15, and 2 with 48 points. The Kings 20, 15, and 5 with 45 points. The Ducks 19, 16, and 7 with 45 points as well. Wild card looks like this. It's Minnesota on the top spot at 22, 10, and 3 with 47 points. San Jose, 21, 17, and 2 with 44 points. On the outside looking in are the Calgary Flames at 18, 11, and 6 with 42 points. Winnipeg, 17, 12, and 6 with 40 points. Vancouver, 18, 18, and 3 with 39 points. Edmonton, 18, 15, and 2 with 38 points. They've only played 35 games, by the way. Winnipeg and Edmonton. Uh... Dallas, 36 games played. They're 18, 16, and 2 with 38 points. Chicago, 39 games played. They're 15, 18, and 6 with 36 points. Seattle, 38 games played. 11, 23, and 4 with 26 points. And Arizona, 38 games played. They are 10, 24, and 4 with 24 points. Last night in the National Hockey League, it was the Rangers overcoming a deficit to beat the New York, the Toronto Maple Leafs 6-3. Coyotes, a big 4-1 win over the Devils. And the Avalanche 
giving a shutout to the Ducks two to nothing tonight on the slate. Besides the Jackets playing in Philadelphia, Winnipeg is in Nashville to battle the Predators. Montreal is in Vegas to battle the Golden Knights. Washington is in Boston to battle the Bruins. Dallas is in Buffalo to battle the Savers. Pittsburgh hosts the Ottawa Senators. 9 o'clock sees Edmonton hosting the Florida Panthers. 9.30 on ESPN sees Colorado in L.A. to battle the Kings. And the Kraken will take on the San Jose Sharks. 10 o'clock is the time for that one tonight. News and notes around the NHL for you. Going on, of course, the... Updates to the standings, of course, uh, Jake Voracek will return in the lineup tonight for the Blue Jackets against his former team, the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, I, it looks like Jack Eichel is could be out another month or two for the Golden Knights for his injury. Of course, the new hire for Kent Hughes was introduced as the 18th new general manager by the Montreal Canadiens. It looks like Quentin Quinton Byfield will make his season debut tonight against the Colorado Avalanche with the Dallas Stars. Uh, the lines have been set by the NHL. The NHL All-Star game has been set. The lines are set. It looks like this will be the lines for the Atlantic Division. It will be Austin Matthews, Dylan Larkin, and Jonathan Huberto for the, for the Pan- Panthers. Patrice Bergeron, Steven Stamkos, and Victor Hedman. In another line, as well as Drake Batterson from Ottawa, Nick Suzuki, and Rossless Dalmine from the Florida from the Buffalo Sabres, Andres Vanzaleski and Jack Campbell are your two goaltenders in the Atlanta Division in the Metropolitan. It'll be Alex Ovechkin as the captain, Sebastian Ajo and Adam Fox, Jake Ginso, Claude Giroux, and Zach Warinsky for the Blue Jack from the Blue Jackets in one line. Chris Kreider, Jack Hughes, Adam Peake. And the goaltenders will be Frederick Anderson from Carolina and Tristan Jari from the Pittsburgh Penguins. In the Central Division, it will be Kamiri Kapanen from the, from the Minnesota Wild, Nathan McKinnon from the Colorado Avalanche, and Kale McCarr from Colorado as well. Alex DeBrinkett from the Chicago Blackhawks, Nassim Kadri from the Colorado Avalanche, and Joe Pavelski from the Dallas Stars. Kyle Connor from Winnipeg, Clayton Keller from Arizona, and Jordan Cairo from St. Louis. Uh, UC Sorrow from Nashville and Cam Talbot will be the goaltenders for the Central Division. And then for the Pacific Division will be Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and Jordan Eberle will be the three linemen for the Pacific Division. It looks like Johnny Gaudreau, Mark Stone, and Alex Petrangelo for um, one line. Stone and Petrangelo from Vegas, Gaudreau from Calgary, Timo Meyer from San Jose, Troy Terry from Anaheim, and Adrian Kempney from the from the Los Angeles Kings, Troy Terry from Anaheim, Meyer from San Jose, John Gibson from Anaheim, and Thatcher Demko from the Vancouver Canucks. Those are all the players that have made the NHL All-Star Games. They could change, of course, because of players. Also, uh, Dmitry Orloff has been suspended two games from kneeing, uh, kneeing the Winnipeg defenseman Nikolai Ehlers in their game this past this past Wednesday, this past Tuesday night. So that's the jacket roundup, uh, jacket recap. It's the Jackets take on Philadelphia tonight, 7 o'clock. That game on Bally Sports Ohio as well as NBC Sports Pennsylvania. As you're listening to all of the offer tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, 
Pocket Cast, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening. Thank you for tuning in. And now let's continue to talk a little bit of ice hockey. Let's dive into the East Coast Hockey League, and it's time for the Walleye Roundup. It's time to hit the pond. It's time for the Walleye Roundup right here on All Andy Alfred. So it's now time for the Walleye Roundup right here on All Andy Alfred right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you're listening, whenever and wherever you're listening, thank you for tuning in as well as we're going to recap around the East Coast Hockey League as well as the Walleye are the main team that we talk about right here on the Anchor Network on All Andy Alford, but we're going to dive a little bit more into the East Coast Hockey League as the All-Star break that took place this past All-Star game took place this past Monday. We're on an All-Star break. We'll take a look at the rest, rest around the ECHL as well. But we'll start first and foremost with the action that took place on the 14th of January on Friday night as the Fish traveled up to K-Wings Event Center in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And the K-Wings get the better of the Fish. Kalamazoo beating up on Toledo by a score of 4-2 to two in the game. It did start off on the right foot for the Walleye as Tom not getting his 7th of the season from Schultz and Lowry. It was one nothing fish before Kalamazoo's Hunts Mutz um, Mitz getting his tenth of the season from Blaney and Vertali in the second period. It was one nothing after twenty. Kalamazoo gets on the board, tying it at one apiece before Howershell getting his sixth of the season in the third period, a minute and fifty six into the third period, giving the fish a two one lead early in the first period from Schultz and Parcells. And then the K-Wings turned it on. Murray getting his third of the season from Davies and Mutt Hunts. And then Stalker, his seventh of the season from Debrinket and Sorensen, giving the K-Wings a 3-2 lead. Uh, Sorensen getting his tenth of the season into the empty net at 4-2 and was the final at K-Wings event center. The Fish falling to the Kalamazoo Wings. The K-Wings out shooting the walleye in the game 44-29. Kalamazoo 0-2 on the power play. Toledo 0-1 on the power play as well as it was Milosink stopping 40-43 of in the game. It's save percentage of a point nine two five. It was Trevor Gorsuch to win stopping 27-29. of His save percentage of a point nine eight three. So there is that for you. With only two penalties in the game, it was a delay of game penalty by Purcells, Davies, a tripping minor, and a hooking minor for Tom Neck for the Fish. So the Walleye beating, losing to Kalamazoo on Friday night. Other scores from around the East Coast League on that Friday, the 14th of January. Orlando, a 6-2 win over the Wheeling Nailers. It was Florida, a 3-1 win over Greenville. South Carolina, a 6-4 win over Norfolk. It was the Reading Royals beating up on the Wooster Railers by a score of 6-3. It was Atlanta in overtime beating the Jacksonville Iceman 2-1. In overtime, Iowa falls to the Kansas City Mavericks 5-4. Fort Wayne falls to Indy 4-2. It was Tulsa 2, Allen 
one and Rapid City a three two win over Wichita. Idaho falls to Utah four to one. We get to Saturday and the fish took on the four main Fort Wayne Comets at the Huntington Center in downtown Toledo and it was a good crowd on hand of 8,033 in attendance to watch this one and it was all fish to start it off as Hawkins getting his fourth of the season from Schultz and Hensick. Uh, beautiful goal to start it all off. 18.06 mark of the first period led one nothing fish after 20 minutes of play. Hawkins getting his second of the night Fifth of the season to start off in the second period, the 722 mark of the second period from Keenan and Grafani. It was 2 nothing Fish before Jones getting his fourth of the season from Tolek and Perzelli in the second period, making it a 2-1 game. And then Brett Bowling, his ninth of the season. By the way, the Hawkins goal was the Michigan goal. Everybody was number two on on ESPN Sports Center. Gotta give mention. To that, but Brett Boeing, his ninth of the season from Mitchell Hurd <clears throat> at the 1907 mark of the second period, making it 3 1 fish after 20 40 minutes. Fort Wayne does answer with Jones getting his fifth of the season from Murphy, Murphy and Jones, his fifth of the season at the 237 mark of the third period. But that was all the scoring took place. That's the fish beat up on the on the Fort Wayne comments by a score of 3 to 2. Toledo out shooting Fort Wayne in the game 43-42. Both teams 0 for 4 on the power play. It was Kulina stopping 40 of 43. His save percentage of 0.925. Milosic stopping 40 of 42. His save percentage of 0.95.950. So a good matchup there. The fish getting the better, better of the Fort Wayne comments on. Saturday, other scores from around the East Coast League on the 15th of January. <clears throat> South Carolina, a 2-1 win over Norfolk. In overtime, the Redding, the uh, Iowa Heartlanders fall to the Indy Fuel 4-3. Kalamazoo bounces and continues their winning ways. They win 5-3 over Cincinnati. It was 4-1 winners for Wheeling over the Orlando Solar Bears. Greenville, a 3-1 win over the Florida Everblades. Wooster getting the better of the Reading Royals 2-1 in a shootout. It was the Kansas City Mavericks, a 3-2 win over the Allen Americans. Rapid City beats Wichita 5-3, and Idaho puts the shutout over Utah with a 6-0 win. We get to Sunday's slate of games, a small slate on Sunday, as most teams were getting ready for the All-Star break, as the Fish then traveled down to the Queen City to take on the Cincinnati Cyclones. Cyclones attendance, by the way, in that game on on Sunday, gotta look it up here. It looked like 4,875 in attendance at Heritage Bank Center in the Queen City. Yep, 4,875 as the fish took on the, the took on the Cincinnati Cyclones. Is Mitchell Hur getting his second of the season, opening the scoring for the fish at the 224 mark of the first period from Boeing and Keenan. It was one nothing Fish after 20 minutes of play. Then Hawkins getting his sixth of the season from Hurd and Hensick on the power play. It was at the two-minute mark of the second period, making it 2 nothing Fish for Justin Vibe, his 11th of the season from Schultz and Edge, Edge on the power play, making it a 2-1 game, cutting the deficit to 1-2-1 after 40 minutes of play. But then Howershell, his seventh of the season from Hensick and McMurray, uh, and regulation at the 14.05 mark of the third period, making a 3-1 fish. Boeing getting the empty netter. 
at the 1832 mark at the third period, making it 4-1 Toledo. And that was the final. The Fish beating up on the Cincinnati Cyclones 4-1. They outshot the Cyclones in the game 34-25. Both teams 1-3. for three. Toledo was 1-3 for three on the power play. Cincinnati 1-5 for five on the power play. As Milosic stopping 24-25, a point save percentage of a point nine seven five. It was Bonello stopping 30 of 33, his save percentage of a point nine two five in the game on Sunday as the Fish beat up on Cincinnati 4-1 and went into the All-Star break with a record of 22-8-0-2 overall. The rest of the games on Sunday season saw Norfolk losing to Atlanta 7-3. Iowa a 2-1 win over the Indy Fuel. In overtime, Wheeling takes 2-3 from Orlando with a 4-3 win. Fort Wayne a 5-2 win over Kalamazoo. And Allen shuts down the Oilers 8-0. So we had the All-Star game on Monday, but there was other games that took place in the East Coast League, of course. Idaho took on Utah. It was a 6-3 win over Utah. Utah beating up on Idaho 6-3. It was the Wooster Railers a six, losing 6-4 six over the Reading Royals. And Atlanta was a winner 4-2 over the uh, Florida Everblades. The ECHL All-Star Game took place from the Viscar Veterans Memorial Stadium in Jacksonville, Florida. And the All-Stars getting the better of the Jacksonville All-Stars by a score of 14-7 in the game. Big game for... Scoring-wise, it was a big game. ECHL All-Stars dominated the game in all aspects of the game. They led, they won 14-7 over the Jacksonville All-Stars. No shots on goal was in favor of the ECHL All-Stars, 40-37 in the game. The ECHL All-Stars had four Goals in the first, four goals in the second, and six goals in the third. Uh, no, uh, the captain of the team, by the way, for the was the walleye captain, TJ Hensick. He had three assists in the game. He was a plus two in the game. The overall MVP in the game went to Crawford who had three goals, one assist. He was a plus five in the game. So congratulations to him. He is the ECHL All-Star MVP of the game. So now the ECHL is on an All-Star break. They are off until this upcoming Friday night. Games going forward this upcoming Friday, the 21st of January, tomorrow night. We'll see Redding in Adirondack, the Battle of the Thunder, 7 o'clock puck drop for that one. 7 Eastern, we'll see Cincinnati taking on the Indy Fuel, 7 o'clock sees South Carolina taking on the Jacksonville Iceman. The Trevon Trayvon Lions take on the uh, Wooster Railers, 705 Eastern Puck Drop for that. 710 sees the Kalamazoo Wings in Wheeling to battle the Wheeling Nailers. 715 Orlando is in Maine to battle the Mariners. The Iowa Heartlanders come to the Huntington Center tomorrow night, 715 Puck Drop at the Huntington Center. 730 Eastern sees Atlanta in, in Florida to battle the Everblades Newfoundland travels to Kansas City to take on the Mavericks. 7.05 puck drop for that one. Uh, Central Time, 7.05 Central Time, 8.05 Eastern. Tulsa is in Wichita. 9.05 Eastern sees Idaho taking on Rapid City. And at 9.10, it will be Allen taking on the 
Utah Grizzlies. Just make mention of this really quickly. Let me make sure I'm seeing that right. Yeah, Newfoundland will be in Kansas City, I believe. Yeah, they are in Kansas City for two games. Then they travel to Tulsa for a game on Sunday. So, got to make mention of this. Why didn't they make the trick to Toledo? Make that rivalry matchup from the Kelly Cup final. Just got to make mention of that. You know, Eastern... I I, I don't want to make mention of this. You know, we have teams in the East Coast League that want to play against each other. I know Florida wants to play. You know, Orlando, there's a contingent of fans here in Toledo want Orlando to come to town. They also want Florida to come to town. They want Newfoundland to come to town because of that rivalry that they had in the Kelly Cup final. But the, uh, it, 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 the league needs to make the, make it a parody that, you know, teams have to play, you know, you know, we see teams play against each other. Eastern Conference teams play against Western Conference teams a lot. I mean, we're seeing that this weekend with, with Newfoundland going to Kansas City and Tulsa. They're making the trek from there. You're seeing Orlando go all the way from Orlando, Florida, all the way up to May. And a lot of us, a lot of us want to see, you know, different teams. We all want to see different teams. I mean, I know Adirondack fans want to see, you know, they see Fort Wayne. They're going to see Fort Wayne a lot. Would they would would they like to see Kalamazoo? Would they like to see uh, uh, a Tulsa or somebody that's, you know, make it make it possible. Make it possible. Saturday. The Lions travel down to Reading to battle the Royals. Orlando's in Maine. Atlanta is in Florida. Kalamazoo is in Indy. South Carolina continues their trip to take on Jacksonville. Adirondack is in Worcester. Iowa is in Wheeling. Cincinnati travels to Fort Wayne. Wichita battles Tulsa. Idaho battles Rapid City. Allen travels to Utah to battle the Grizzlies. And then the Fish will be back on the ice on Sunday, 5:15 puck drop. They'll take on the Fort Wayne Comets. Other games, of course, India's in Kalamazoo. Orlando's in Maine. The Lions are in are in Reading to battle the Royals. Jacksonville travels to South Carolina. Adirondack hosts. Adirondack goes to Worcester. Uh, Utah travels home to battle the Allen Americans. Iowa is in Wheeling to battle the Nailers. Newfoundland battles Tulsa. Kansas City goes to Wichita to battle the Thunder. Idaho goes out to Rapid City to battle the Rush. You look at the standings going forward into the East Coast Hockey League, and let's take a look at the Central Division. The Wally holding the top spot at 22 8 2 with 46 points. Cincinnati is in second position at 2013 1-0 with 41 points. Kalamazoo, not Kalamazoo, but Fort Wayne is 18-12, 4-0 with 40 points. Kalamazoo is right there at 19 0-0 with 38 points. The Wheeling Nailers are 17-14-1-0 with 35 points. Indy is 14-15-2-2 with 32 points. The Iowa Heartlanders are 12-17-5-1 with 30 points. Mountain Division sees Utah at 22-12-1-1 with 46 points. Idaho 19-14-0-1 with 39 points. Rapid City is 17-14-3-2 with 39 points. Tulsa 17-14-0-1. With 35 points, Kansas City is 17-16, 1-0 with 35 points. 
It is the Tulsa. It is the Allen Americans at 14, 11, 4, and 1 with 33 points. And the Wichita Thunder is 12, 19, 4, and 0 with 28 points. In the North, in the Eastern Conference, North Division sees the Running Royals in the top spot at 15, 8, 4, and 1 with 35 points. Newfoundland at 15, 5, 2, and 0 with 32 points. The Maine Mariners are 13, 13, 3, and 1 with 30 points. It is the Lions of Travos. 14, 9, 0, and 1 with 29 points. It is Adirondack, 13, 12, 2, and 0 with 28 points. And the Worcester Railers are 11, 16, 1, and 1 with 24 points. In the South, sees the Florida Everblades in the top spot at 19, 10, 3, and 3 with 44 points. Jacksonville, 29, 2, and 1 with 43 points. Atlanta, 19, 14, 2, and 1 with 41 points. Orlando, 18, 13, 2, and 0 with 38 points. It is the South Carolina Stingrays at 12, 18, 3, 0, 13, excuse me, 12, 18, 3, 0, 13, 12, 18, 3, and 0, there it is, with 27 points. Greenville, 10, 15, 3, and 3 with 26 points. And the Norfolk Admirals at 12, 19, 1, and 1 with 26 points. Looking for the worst team in the East Coast League, that would be the Worcester Railers at 11, 16, 1, and 1 with only 24 points. There is that. Those are the ECHL standings, games going forward, as well as what's happening on the pond for the Toledo Walleye. It's, that has been the Walleye Roundup and the ECHL Recap right here on All Andy Alford. Powered by Anchor, you're listening to us tonight on the plethora of platforms, whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Bleaker. However you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. And now let's hit the hard court. Yes. We're going to talk a little college basketball. So the Battle of I-75 took place last Saturday as uh, Toledo traveled down to the Stroh Center to battle out against Bowling Green. Bowling Green not having a great season so far on the hard court. Battle it out, and Toledo took an early big lead against the university against Bowling Green, but then Bowling Green rallied back to make it a one-point lead for UT at the break. But then the Rockets really turned on the Jets as JT Solmont had 29 points. He was 6, 12 for 14 in field goal range, 1 for 1 from the three throw lines as the University of Toledo beats the Bowling Green State University Falcons 91-78 overall in the game for the Rockets side of things. You look at the Rockets. It was so much. Uh, had 32 minutes. He was 20. Had 29 points. He was four for four from three point lanes. 12 for 14 in field goals. Uh, Moeller Jr. had 20 points for 33 minutes. He was eight for 16 in field goal range. He was three for six in three pointers in the game. The bench did not have that much points coming off. It was mostly the starters. Rollins had 16 points. Dennis had 11 points in the game for Bowling Green. It was. Diggs, who had 21 points on 34 minutes played. He was 7 for 12 from three-point lane, 7 for 12 from field goal range. Powden, 14 points. He had 34 minutes played. He was 5 for 14 from field goal range. He was 0 for 3 in third point three-point range. The bench, Gordon had 14 points on the bench with 26 minutes played. He was 6 for 14 in field goal range, 0 for 4 in Three-pointers, Turner, two for four in three-point range. He had 11 points off the bench. He was four for eight in field goal range. So the Rockets getting the better of the Falcons. They're now 2-0 and in the Battle of I-75 this season in overall team sports. 
as the Rockets getting a 91-78 win over the Bowling Green State University Falcons this past Saturday. BG will get back onto the high horse. They did win on Tuesday by the score of 92-83 over the Northern Illinois Huskies. The Rockets beating up, beating up on Ball State 83-70 tonight. The, the Falcons play at the Storrow Center, 7 o'clock tip. It will be they'll take on Akron, who's ten and five, BG nine and eight overall. BG a three point favorite in the game tomorrow. Slate on Friday, Toledo is at Ohio to battle the Bobcats. Six p.m. tip on CBS Sports Network for that one. Kent State travels to Buffalo tomorrow on CBS Sports Network at nine. Excuse me, at eight Eastern for that one. Looking at the standings in the Men American Conference in basketball, Ohio holding the top spot in the conference at five and zero. Oh. Toledo six and one, Akron three and two, Buffalo three and two, Kent State four and three, NIU two and two, Miami of Ohio two and three, Eastern Michigan two and three, Ball State two and four, Bowling Green two and four, Central Michigan one and two, and Western zero oh and six. Overall, the the Falcons are nine and eight overall. Toledo is fourteen and four, Ohio is fourteen and two, Akron is ten and five overall in the standings. Going forward, looking at some of the top 25 in the in the college basketball spectrum. Tonight, 5 o'clock Eastern, it will be Georgetown traveling to 21st-ranked Providence. 4th-ranked Purdue goes to Indiana to battle the Hoosiers. 16th-ranked USC travels to Colorado. 25th-ranked UConn tells on Butler. Number 1-ranked Gonzaga goes home to play San Francisco, 11, East, 11 p.m. Eastern. 11 p.m. Eastern as well on ESPNU. It will be third-ranked Arizona battling Stanford. UCLA, ninth-ranked overall battles Utah on FS1. That tip is 11 o'clock as well. So there's some games for you right there. Michigan State will play tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern on FS1 against eighth-ranked Wisconsin. That's eight. Michigan State, 14th-ranked in the country. Wisconsin, eighth in the eighth in the country as well. So there is that for you guys on the hard court wise as we get closer to March Madness. That's going forward. And by the way, gotta make mention of this too. It is good to see the Cavs doing really well. The Cavs coming off of a huge win on Monday on Martin Luther King Day over the Brooklyn Nets 114 to 107. However, they fell to hardship last night as they lost to the Bulls 117 104. They'll get back onto the hard court on. They'll get back to the hard court here on. Looks like yes, it will be on Saturday as they will host the Oklahoma City Thunder 8 p.m. on NBA TV. They right now are fourth in the. Excuse me, they are now sixth in the Eastern Conference at 27-19 overall with two and a half point game lead on the Eastern Conference. The Bulls are holding the top spot at 28 and 15. Overall, so there is that for you in the NBA side of things. But the big news, of course, today, of course, is that spring is around the corner and the golf is back. The LPGA is returning as it is the Hilton Grand Vacations Tournament of Champions taking place in beautiful Orlando, Florida at Lake Noah Golf and Country Club. And it is the Best golfers in the world taking place as it is the first tournament of the season in the LPGA that will be taking place from Thursday to Sunday with celebrities playing as well in this tournament as it is Gabby Lopez holding the top spot with their final round of five under par today. Yaka Sasso, four under par as well. Uh, Nelly Corda, the number one overall 
in the world of women's golf is four under as well as well as Ryan Rylan O'Toole, four under par. Danielle Kang is four under par as well in the tournament. Uh by uh at three under par is Jessica Corda, Nelly's sister, three under par, as well as Brooke Henderson, who's three under par as well, too. Uh Hall is two under par, tied for ninth, so is Cindy Bautier is two under par as well too. Sandstrom, two under par as well too. Stacy Lewis is two under par too at tie for ninth. Uh, NB Park, one under par as well. Michelle Wee is playing in this tournament as as a LPGA representative. She's one under par, tied for 14th. Lydia Ko, one under par as well. Nasa Hatakora, the Mar- Marathon Classic champion, is one under par, tied for 14th. Pavrov is at even. Stanford's at even. Mel Ree, one over par. Castron, one over par. Austin Ernst, two over par. Uh, Segunda, Jagunda, two over par, tied for 24th. Norquist is 27. She's four over par. Uh, and Min Lee is five over par, as it is only 29 players playing in the opening of the LPGA. As it will be that, and then the Gambridge LPGA event, which will take place next weekend, and then the Drive On Championship, which will start February 3rd from the Crown Colonial Golf and Country Club on February 3rd for that one. So the LPGA back into the swing of things. Of course, the PGA on this on on as we speak right now. They're doing the American the Express Classic at La Quinta Car- Golf Country in La Quinta, California. Right now it's Lee Hodges 9 under par, uh, Patrick Callaway 7 under par, uh, John Rahm 6 under par through 17 holes going into today's into today's play. Of course, uh looking at it really quickly, I wanted to pull up uh let's see here. Uh, Jason, uh, Jason Day, five under par, and Justin Rose, four under par in the tournament so far. Uh, had to win four under par as well. Uh, Shuffler, four under par. Thompson, three under par. Uh, let's look here. I think uh, Han, four under par. Three, excuse me, two under par. So all these tournaments, golf is underway for this 2022 year. Looking forward to that. Of course, we are having no baseball, no baseball as of yet, as the news broke yesterday that the Players Association will meet will meet in with their with their um counter offer with the league what they rejected from the league so we'll see what happens with that and the big news for me is this this came across my wire and I wanted to talk about this tonight uh robots robot umpires robot umpires at home plate move up to AAA for 2022 robot umpires have been given a promotion and will be one step away from the major leagues. Major League Baseball is expanding its automatic strike zone experiment to AAA, the highest level in the minor leagues. MLB's website posts a hiring notice seeking seasonal employees to operate the automatic ball strike system. MLB is setting said it's recruiting employees to operate the system for Albuquerque, for Albuquerque, Charlotte, El Paso, Las Vegas, Oklahoma City, Reno, Round Rock, 
Sacramento, Salt Lake, Sugarland, and Tacoma. So yes, the Charlotte Knights will have automatic umpires. That says something right there. That says something right there. That'll be interesting to see how that's going to play out this upcoming year. If we get a baseball season this year, we'll see. If you're listening to All Andy Offer today right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you're listening, wherever and whenever, whenever and however you're listening, thank you so much for tuning in. And we are headed to the end of our program. It's now time for Andy Rants. So it's now time for Andy Rants, and I want to say thank you again for tuning into our podcast tonight. If you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, then what are you doing? Hit the subscribe button. We do this show every week right here on All Andy Alford, and I hope you enjoyed the program tonight. I wanted to get into a couple things I wanted to talk about. Last night, me and the wife got an opportunity to go to the movies for the first time since COVID, and we went and saw The House of Gucci. It stars Lady Gaga, Al Pacino, as well as Adam Driver, and uh, has uh, Selma Hayek in it as well. Uh, I thought it was a really good movie. It was really, really put, goodly portrayed for the Gucci family. I thought the acting of... Uh, I've always thought Lady Gaga is a good actor. Uh, when the Star is Born was good. And uh, she was good in America's Horror Story. This movie was a really good movie. It kind of played the Gucci family pretty well. I mean, it was based on an all-true story. I, I like it. It was a good movie. I give it a four and a half out of five. Uh, there's no really bad critique to it. Uh, it was one of those things where it was good to be back in the theater to see it. Now the wife wants to go maybe once, maybe twice a month to see a new movie. I'm down for that. I told her the next pick for me, next movie for me, I want to see the new Spider-Man. You know, I want to see when the hype has all you know, died down a little bit more because everybody's still going to see it and over and over again. And so, you know, and I, for me, I like to see the new Jackass movie. You know, I, I was a fan of that when I was growing up. It would be, be even more funny to see it in the theaters this time around. So, uh, so yeah, there's that for you. Uh, time for Andy Rants, though, tonight. And... Uh, I want to talk about what I witnessed on last Sunday. I was uh, at a fast food establishment. Let's just say the Golden Arches. And there was a gentleman that was getting his food. He had a big, he ordered a Big Mac and fries. And I was waiting, I ordered my food to the kiosk. And I wait, you know, I, I make sure I get the food. I order it on the kiosk to make sure that they get it right all the time. So, you know, because... You know, sometimes they'll mess it up and they'll forget, and that's understandable. There's a gentleman that was in the line at the counter, ordered a Big Mac meal, large fry, and a drink. And he goes up to the attendant, and he says, Can I have, you know, some ketchup? And so the lady goes and gets the ketchup for her, and he looks at the bag again. He says, No, 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 no. I want seven Ketchups. Seven ketchups. So the other employees hears that, grabs a whole bunch of the ketchups, and puts it, like, tosses it into the bag. Now the gentleman starts flipping out at the employee, starts yelling and screaming at him, saying that, you know, you step outside, you know, let's have a fight, blah, 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 and this, that, and the other. First of all, dude, 
Why do you need seven ketchups for your Big Mac sandwich? Have you looked at your car, man? He was driving an old beat-up pickup truck that needed that needed a front-end alignment as well as a new coat of paint. And and the the dude didn't look like he missed too much ketchup. First of all, and he said and he said it. He said it himself in the restaurant that he was going home. It's like, dude, do you not have ketchup at home? You take a bo- take the bottle out of the fridge and squeeze it. Are you that stupid? And then you get into an argument and fight and start yelling and screaming over this, that, and the other about the employees. The employees are doing the best they can. We, I understand that the employees are struggling. They're not making the best amount of money for the quality of service that we're, we're giving them. Okay? So to, to honestly berate this employee who honestly is giving you more ketchup than you're supposed to have because you're going home to, get ke- to eat your food when you probably have ketchup in your door because you're too fat and fucking lazy to get more ketchup. Did not get up and go over to the door, open the door. Oh, I got ketchup in the fridge. Pull it out, squeeze it under your thing, and eat it then. Why do you need it in a little fancy ketchup packet? Why do you need it in a little fancy ketchup packet? Because you think you're fantastic? Because you're not. Plain and simple. But just to berate the employee and then the employee then to berate him was just fantastic to see. Because I had no dog in the fight. No dog in the fight. And I really wanted to tell the guy, first and foremost... Why aren't you wearing a mask? Because all the employees were wearing a mask except for the customer. Everybody in the store was wearing a mask except for this douchebag that needs a front-end alignment, doesn't need ketchup because he looks like he doesn't miss a freaking meal. And there's no point to arguing about it. They're trying to do the best they can. And to give you the amount of ketchup that that you wanted, I, 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 I was just flabbergasted. Absolutely flabbergasted. So you, to that guy right there, you're a complete idiot. You should you should really rethink really of your life, plain and simple. Don't berate the employees. They're doing the best they can. Okay? And that's my rant tonight. We can't berate people because we're coming off a pandemic and people are trying their best to do their job, to perform to the best that they can. I know some people are having a hard time hiring right now in the food service business. They're having a hard time finding waiters and waitresses because they don't want to work because of the amount of wages, because the wages are low. And I understand, I can understand that. But the problem is to have people that want to work in food, you have to raise the wages. And I understand that you're going to have people that are going to complain. Well, the wages are going to raise. That means the food prices are raised. Well, do you need to have... A, 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 do you really need to go out? I go out with my wife once a week. Once, maybe twice a week. Okay? Uh, we go out. We have a di- we have dinner out. We go do a show or go do an activity. Uh, but the fact is that these employees need to be paid more than what they're offered. A lot of them are getting paid the minimum wage or 2 to $3 above the minimum wage, which is not enough to survive in this world. Tipped waitresses are, are struggling because of it. Tipped at wait, food service people are struggling because of it. So I, I, I again say it. 
I will say this, and I'm going to mean this, to those people, to that people that are going to complain to me and say, say to me, well, if you raise the wages of food people, that means the food prices are going to be weighed. They already are going up already. You know, we're seeing it right now in, I'll say right now in Little Caesars. Little Caesars Pizza used to be $5. Now it's five fifty-five because they want competitive wages. They want to pay their employees more. We're seeing it in we're seeing it in Starbucks. You know your coffee prices are going up because they're paying their employees a better wage. So we need more businesses to pay their employees better wages to keep them. Because we're coming off of the great, we're coming off of the pandemic. We're coming off the great, you know, the great quit. I call it the quit because people quit. A lot of people quit their jobs. And rethought of what they're what they want to do, and now they're either going back to school, they're redoing their lives. Businesses need to look at that and say, "All right, what do we need to do to keep employees?" And to the employees that are there, that have been there through the pandemic, all of the factory workers, all of the people in retail, all the people that were in the grocery stores, all the food service people. All I have to say to you people is thank you for working through this. It's not just the nurses and the doctors and the healthcare people that we need to thank. We need to thank those people as well because if it wasn't for them, we would be in a, in, in a worst case scenario. That's just plain and simple. So we need competitive wages for food service people. We need competitive wages for that for people who you know are wanting to work people who are wanting to work instead of sitting on their duffs not working collecting an unemployment check that's just not fair i'll admit it i was on an unemployment for two months during the pandemic when when my job quit my job shut down because of the pandemic i filed unemployment got unemployment did i use most of my employment for my Everyday life, absolutely. I needed it. Did I pay for it all back? Absolutely, I did. I did. So, we need competitive wages in the food service industry to help people out. And we don't need to belittle them and berate them and knock them down. Because then you're going to have problems where people walk off the job. You're going to have people that are going to the great quit quit their jobs, and walk away. Plain so. To that guy that wanted seven ketchups, you're an idiot. Absolute moron. You're going home. You could probably, you don't need, first of all, you don't need McDonald's, buddy. If you needed that Big Mac and fries, you needed to, you don't need it. You need a salad. And then to f- try to fight the guy in the, I basically told the employee when I got my food, it says, you guys are doing a great job. Just keep up the good work. People like that need to put a new tampon in their asshole. Plain and simple. That's Andy Rants tonight. So, to recap again, I have the Bengals, the Packers on Saturday, and I have Tampa and Buffalo 
on Sunday. So we'll see how that all shakes out. We'll be back on our regular day on. We'll be back on our regular dates next week. Of course, we've had two Thursday shows. I know I've been getting a lot of those people. We'll be back on Monday, Monday night. No, actually not Monday night. Monday night, yours truly will be at the Huntington Center for Monday Night Raw. I am looking forward to it. Brock Lesnar's debut to the Huntington Center. First time ever to Toledo, Ohio. We will be there. We will have all Andy Alford on Tuesday's edition of the program. We'll recap it. Look for my sign at at Raw. It will be uh, a Miz sign because I'm a big Miz fan. Uh, I'm going to say Toledo loves the Miz. And on the back side, too, uh, uh, hashtag, uh, Toledo loves the Miz, hashtag AAA Live. And then I'm also going to have on that back side of it, it says, we love Brock. So there's that. So until I talk to you on Tuesday, this is Andy Alford saying, I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. The game of life. Keep your stick on the ice and make sure you wear a mask to protect your loved ones. And to the teams you root for at home. And to my teams. Go Jackets! Get the job done tonight against Philadelphia. Go Walleye. Go Bills. Go Bengals. And go Falcons. And by the way, a great showing last Friday against Bemidji State. Even though we lost, great crowd on hand and a good win on Saturday. Victory is sweetest. When you have tasted defeat, have a great rest of the week, everybody, and great weekend. Enjoy the divisional football. And I'll talk to you on Tuesday for another edition of All Andy Alford. I love you guys. Talk to you then. This has been a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network, powered by Anchor. You've been listening to Andy tonight on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Bleaker, however you listen, wherever and whenever you're listening. Thank you again for tuning into the show tonight. You can be a part of our show by following us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred, as well as Facebook.com slash AllAndyAlfred. The podcast is performed each week right here on the Anchor Network.